looks like a scene out of Sleeping Beauty. A princess sleeps on a raised platform inside a marbled hall. A knight is setting off in an adventure to awaken her. This, however, is not the classic fairy tale. It's the beginning of Zelda II, The Adventure of Link. The princess is the title character. She's the first princess of her kingdom to go by that name. All others have been named after her. The green-clad knight is Link. He's mentioned in the subtitle. It's our job to guide Link through the Seven Palaces to claim the Triforce of Courage and awaken the princess. This week on Legendary Adventures, we're heading to the first palace. I should note again that I am playing the special edition of this game. It's on the Nintendo Switch NES online service. It starts the players with all stats maxed out at level 8, and gives them all magic spells and all sword abilities. Despite having all the spells and the sword abilities, I'm not going to use the spells until I've acquired them in normal play. That means I'm going to go through the quests until I find the old man. He will tell me that he can't help me, but after that point, I will start using that spell. Let's begin. Players start in the North Castle where the princess sleeps. They exit the castle by going either left or right. The game then switches to an overhead view. Now, unlike the original Legend of Zelda, the manual for Zelda 2 does not contain a walkthrough directing players on how to get to the first dungeon. What it does have is a map. It's found on pages 41 and 42. The map clearly marks the first palace inside the Parappa Desert to the northeast. It also marks the locations of the towns of Raru and Bruto. Two caves are also marked. One is south of Bruto, the other to the northeast of Raru. With this map, I imagine players can deduce what to do fairly quickly. They must travel through the cave northeast of Raru to reach the first palace in the Parappa Desert. So what if the player doesn't have the map? Well, in contrast to the first game, Zelda 2 contains some more overt hints on where to go. The road from North Castle heads east, hinting at the initial direction of travel. Players who make it to Raru will find a number of villagers who provide further hints. An old woman tells us to return the crystal. A child tells us to get the candle in Parappa Palace. However, the child also confusingly adds to go west. The palace is to the north. However, once inside the palace, we will have to travel west to reach the candle. There's also a woman who tells us to find a heart in southern Parappa. There are at least two other hints offered, one to find a hammer and break a roadblock south of town. The other tells us to use fire attacks and fallout spells. These last two hints are not immediately relevant to this section of the game. What's most important, however, is that we speak to the woman in the purple dress. We can see her exit her home, and then we have to quickly catch up to her and speak to her. She urges us to speak with her father, and then returns to her home. We quickly follow her inside, and she explains that each town has a wise man. She tells us to speak to each of them. Her father grants Link the shield spell. When used, Link's tunic turns red, and his damage is cut in half. Now we move on to Parappa Desert. We must travel through a cave to the north of Raru. However, this presents one of the most odd design decisions at this early point of the game. The cave players must travel through is dark. We need a candle to light it up. The candle is inside Parappa Palace. Now this particular cave is pretty simple. There's no pits, there's only one enemy. However, players can't see the enemy well in the darkness. Players have to look at the ground closely to be able to spot it as it moves back and forth. 
I suspect most first-time players will not see it. I know that that was true the first time I played. This seems to be an example of the designers just adding extra difficulty for its own sake. Based on the hint from the townsperson Araru, after exiting the cave we head east and then follow the shore south to the southernmost point of Parappa. There's a heart container hidden inside a small grove of trees. However, there's also a forced trap screen just before we get there. Players will have to jump over a series of pits while avoiding bubbles that float up from the bottom of the screen. After getting the heart container, we'll have to repeat the screen in reverse on the way back. Now to Parappa Palace itself. The palace is pretty straightforward, though we do have to backtrack a number of times to make it to the end. Not far from the entrance, we find our first main mechanic of all the dungeons of this game, an elevator. Elevators in the Adventure of Link do not move on their own, they need input from the player. We head down. After reaching the lower floor, players who travel to the right will soon meet a dead end in the form of a locked door. This will send players back to the left. In this way, Zelda 2 teaches players in a similar fashion to Metroid, where players actually need to travel left first to progress in the game. In both games, players run into dead ends if they move to the right. In Metroid, players will need the Morph Ball in order to advance. Here it's a simple key. After getting the key, we can move down the path to the right. We come to another elevator, but if we travel down, we'll only run into another locked door. We need to continue further to the right to a third elevator and then travel up. There are two keys to collect along this upper path. After getting both keys, we backtrack. This portion highlights one of the issues I have with the dungeon design in Zelda 2. Items that players need are generally at the end of long passageways. Players are then required to backtrack after getting what they're after. Later games in the series would cut down on uninteresting backtracking by building loops into the dungeon design or by using items to recontextualize past rooms. After returning to the third elevator, we descend a level and then return to the second elevator. Heading down, we go west to the end of the corridor where we find the candle. As will be common in this game, this item has no use within the dungeon itself. The candles used to light up caves elsewhere in the game. Both on the way to the candle and on the way back, we pass over a bridge that collapses behind Link into a pit of lava. There is an experience point bag in the middle of the bridge to tempt players, but stopping will almost certainly result in death. Returning to the third elevator, we'll actually walk past it to find a room with a fairy to refill our health. Then we'll descend down the elevator to the lowest level. As we move right, we'll use our final key to reach the dungeon boss. His name is Horsehead. He's a large knight who towers over Link, and true to his name, he's got the head of a horse. We damage this boss by jumping at it and striking the head. The fight itself is pretty straightforward. I generally don't have much trouble with it on any of my playthroughs in the game. Players not playing the special edition, however, will want to use the shield spell to reduce the amount of damage they take. When Horsehead falls, we'll receive the final key of the dungeon. Unlike in the previous game, bosses do not drop heart containers. Instead, players are granted a full level up once they place the crystal in the statue. The statue is found behind a locked door just beyond the boss room. With the crystal placed and the dungeon item collected, we'll find that the palace icon on the map has turned to stone. The dungeon cannot be re-entered, and we have a visual indication that the players have completely cleared the dungeon. We can now travel back through the cave and find that it's completely lighted. 
Next week, we're going to tackle the next dungeon from Adoro Palace and the intense maze of Death Mountain. If you wish to follow along, please subscribe. Please also consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. You can play Zelda 2 on Nintendo Switch NES Online with a subscription. I'm Paul Riley. Thanks for listening.